the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. The Lord says to him that he is with you to Gideon, you mighty warrior. Now, Gideon is not a warrior. Actually, what the Lord is saying to him is, this is how the Lord sees him which is good news for us because the Lord doesn't just see us for who we are. He sees us for who we can be in Him. And what the Lord saw in Gideon was a mighty warrior, though Gideon up to this point was not a warrior. This is the Lord saying what He sees in Gideon and Gideon's potential. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. Do you ever feel like a failure? God doesn't think so, and He created you. If you make yourself completely available to God, you'll find out that He has a plan to use you in a mighty way beyond your own capabilities. And this isn't just motivational nonsense. In today's message, Pastor Gary shares how Gideon's life is the perfect example and proof that God doesn't see your past mistakes or present inadequacies. God only sees the final product He's making you into. So just remember that you are His work in progress. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message titled, Lessons from Gideon. So join us in the book of Judges, chapter 6. You can open your Bibles there as we take a look at the fifth judge of Israel, the story of Gideon. So in Judges, chapter 6, here we come now to the fifth judge of Israel. We've already talked about four. We've talked about Othniel, followed by Ehud, followed by Shamgar. Shamgar was a minor prophet, Deborah. And today we come to the story of Gideon. Now, Gideon's name in Hebrew means feller. Not as in, hey, little feller, but as in hewer, someone who would cut down trees. That's what his name means in Hebrew. And he is somewhat of an unknown until this story, and now he becomes really a hero of the Bible. One of my favorite stories in Scripture. He gathers the army of Israel to go to war against the Midianites. Fresh water is a very strategic location for many reasons. Obviously, in the days of ancient Israel, you needed fresh water to survive as a people. And uh, particularly when you think about a staging location for an army to get ready to go to war... They need to get hydrated, and so they're going to end up drinking from the spring here of Enherod. But for now, we're going to start here in Judges chapter 6, and beginning at verse 1, it says this, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, the Bible says here, and it was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So here's this cycle again in the book of Judges that we've been talking about for the last few weeks where the Israelites start out by serving the Lord, then they slip into sin and idolatry, then they're oppressed by their enemies, and then they cry out to the Lord and he raises up a deliverer, and then they're delivered, and then they serve the Lord. And again, here's this cycle. That's the way chapter 6 starts out by saying, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so each time with Othniel the Arameans that God raised up against the Israelites, and then with Ehud, God raised up the Moabites, and then Deborah, God raised up the Canaanites. And again, when I say that he raised them up, God is allowing these foreign people to oppress his people, to awaken his people spiritually. They're getting involved again in this cycle of sin, and they're disobeying God, and the way that God will awaken them is to allow foreign nations, foreign people groups to come to invade the land, to oppress the people. Then the Israelites are oppressed. They cry out to the Lord and he raises up another leader, a judge. Again, I know it's repetition, but for those of you joining our study, a judge in Israel was not a black robed official with a gavel. A judge was a military hero or deliverer that God would raise up for a select time to lead the people of Israel. And so this is the cycle again that we just read here. They're doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord allows the Midianites to come and to oppress them. And they're being oppressed now for seven years, it tells us in verse 1. Now, the Midianites, as it explains to us in the story here, pretty ruthless people. They're pretty barbaric. They were originally actually pretty friendly to the Israelites. You might remember that when Moses fled Egypt after he had killed the Egyptian, he went and he spent some time in Midian, 40 years in Midian, in the wilderness of Midian, where he met and married his wife, and his father-in-law was a Midianite. So originally, the Midianites were actually friendly. They were friendlier relations with the Israelites back in the days of Moses and the Hebrew people. But now things are very different, and the Midianites are perennial enemies of the Israelites. And the text tells us here that they swarmed this valley like locusts, that they were so numerous you couldn't even count them. So we're talking multiple thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands. You have to have that mental image of just hundreds of thousands of Midianites swarming the Jezreel Valley. And the Bible says that they practiced what we would call today scorched earth policy. That is to say that when they would come into a land, they would completely ravage it. They would strip all the crops of all vegetation. They would kill everything in sight. They would burn everything in sight. And for that reason, the Israelites, it tells us here, they were basically in hiding constantly in mountain clefts and caves. They were just trying to escape the ruthless oppression of the Midianites wherever they could. And what we're going to see here is we find Gideon in a place where you normally wouldn't be. 
but because he's trying to escape from the oppression of the Midianites, we find him, the Bible says, he's going to be threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, wheat and wine aren't supposed to go together, but we're going to find out why he's actually there. So that's the background. The Midianites, very ruthless people, scorched earth policy. They ravage the land. They kill. And these are the people now that the Israelites are being oppressed by. Seven long years. They cry out to God. The cycle is God hears them, and he's going to raise up another deliverer. And that deliverer is none other than Gideon. So pick up the story now in verse 7. And so it says this, that when the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live but you have not listened to me. And so it mentions here this prophet. It's an unnamed prophet. We don't know who this person is, but this prophet comes and basically says to the people, listen, let me just remind you what God has done for you. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I brought you up out of slavery. I have delivered you from the hand of Pharaoh and you have seen all my mighty acts, but you've forgotten me. You have not lived for me. You've fallen back into sin and into idolatry. And so here come the Midianites. And so, as we keep reading, verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the angel said to Gideon, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So here's the scene. Gideon, just this unknown guy. Bible says he is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, a wine press would have been this vat and you would have kind of stepped down into it versus a normal place where you would thresh wheat would be above ground on a threshing floor where you would separate the wheat from the chaff. So on a normal threshing floor, the wheat would be stomped on or there would be actually two wheels upon wheels and it would push the wheat against the chaff, separate the chaff, the wind would take the chaff and you'd be left with the grain. That would normally be done above ground. But Gideon is so fearful for his life, like all the Israelites are, that he's actually down in a basin in a lower area where a wine press would be. And there he's threshing wheat. So kind of in the secrecy of cover. And it says that the angel of the Lord appears to him. Now, we've talked about Christophanies in the Old Testament. This is where the Lord actually himself appears to someone, takes on human form, and often in the Bible where it says the angel of the Lord, that's a Christophany. It's actually an appearance of the Lord Jesus. And that's what we have here. We know that's what we have here because when the angel first speaks to Gideon, he says, the Lord is with you. And it's all caps. It's the proper name of God. But further down in the text, when Gideon actually offers an offering in verse 24, it says that Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. He actually gave it the name Jehovah Shalom. It's one of the covenant names of God, the Lord is peace, because it was there that the Lord's peace was visited upon Gideon. So this is none other than the Lord himself. And the Lord says to him that he is with you to Gideon, you mighty warrior. Now, Gideon is not a warrior. Actually, what the Lord is saying to him is, this is how the Lord sees him, which is good news for us because 
the Lord doesn't just see us for who we are. He sees us for who we can be in him. And what the Lord saw in Gideon was a mighty warrior, though Gideon up to this point was not a warrior. This is the Lord saying what he sees in Gideon and Gideon's potential. Now, Gideon is going to reply here. And when he responds, he's going to be asking the Lord three questions. And these three questions are the same questions that people still ask today. Note them with me. Verse 13. So right after the angel of the Lord says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon says, but sir, he replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Here's the first question that Gideon asks. It's a typical question that many people have, particularly those who are not Christians, but even Christians have this question, and that is this. If God is so good, why are these bad things happening? If God is so good, why are these bad things happening? First question out of Gideon's mouth to the Lord is, well, if God is for us and he is with us and he's all powerful, why are the Midianites here oppressing us? Why are these bad things happening? That's the first question. Then, verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Here's the second question, verse 15. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Second question often the people ask, particularly among Christians, is how could God ever really use a person like me? What do I have to offer? How can God use me? And that's Gideon's question. How could God ever use someone like me? The Lord answered, verse 16, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. That's the Lord's answer. He doesn't even answer that question directly, but he does tell Gideon, I'm going to be with you and that's all that really matters. Now, what happens here is we're going to see this reluctance with Gideon. And I love this about him because he's not this guy who was seeking a role of leadership or a role of power or a role of authority. He's a reluctant leader. And as I've said before, the best leaders are not those who have fought for the role, but those who are sought for the role. And Gideon has been sought for this role. There's nothing particularly impressive about him except that God's hand is on him for this particular time, for this particular reason. And we see his reluctance coming out here because he's going to say to the Lord, okay, if you want me to do this, how can I really know that this is your will? Jump ahead in the text to verse 36. Gideon said to God, verse 36, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, Lord. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. And that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry, all the ground was covered with dew. Now, this becomes the third question that is often asked by every Christian who's ever lived. Okay, here's the question. How can I know your will? Uh, what is your will? I mean, if you're really wanting me to do this or to do that, Lord, how can I really know and test that this is your will? 
So these three main questions Gideon asks. He says to the Lord, if God is good, then why do bad things happen? He says to the Lord, what kind of a person can God ever really use? And then thirdly, he asks, give me a sign. How can I know that it's your will? So let me start with that last one first. Everybody wants to know what is God's will? It's probably one of the most often asked questions I get as a pastor. People want me to pray with them. How can I know God's will? Please help me to discern what the Lord's will is. And there are four things that I often stress that I see throughout Scripture that are important for us in order to be able to discern the will of God. The first is this, the counsel of God's word, the counsel of God's word. Mark this verse down, Psalm 119, verse 105, where it talks about your word is a lamp unto my path. And it talks about how God's word is that provision for knowing and discerning God's direction and his will for our life. Psalm 119, verse 105, and it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. God's word will illuminate the direction we should go and the purpose upon our lives that he has for us. But we have to get into his word. We have to know God's word. And God's word then will give us the direction and the standard of God by which we can measure things and judge things and discern things. But we need the word of God in our hearts and in our lives. So the counsel of God's word is number one. Here's another verse for you. Psalm 32, verse 8. It says, I will instruct you. God says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. So the counsel of God's word, number one. Number two, write it down. The confirmation of godly people. The confirmation of godly people. Oftentimes what God will do is he will speak to us through other people. He will use other people to speak into our lives. But here's a word of caution we should only get confirmation from other people, not direction. Because when God really is calling you to do something or leading you somewhere, he's not going to just give you that initial information from someone else because he has a direct line with you when you know Christ as your savior. But what he'll often do is to use people as a confirmation to begin to speak into your life things that God has already been dealing with you about. And Proverbs says in Proverbs 11, verse 14, and again in Proverbs 24, verse 6, that there is safety in the multitude of counselors. And so when we have godly people in our lives who can speak into our lives God's truth, it often serves to be a confirmation to help us discern his will for our lives. Number three, jot it down, the comfort of God's peace. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And often God will give us a sense of peace about what he's telling us to do. And somebody gave me valuable information years ago when he quoted out of Colossians 3 and said, listen, Gary, never go against your peace. There's going to be a lot of times when you're trying to discern what God's will is and what his direction is for your life, but never violate God's peace. So number one, the counsel of God's word. Number two, the confirmation of other godly people that God will speak through. Number three, the comfort of God's peace. And number four, the consecration of a pure life. The consecration of a pure life. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, listen to this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, notice the connection there. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So how can you know God's will apart from living a godly life? And that's the first part of the text. It says that if you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship, you don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve. Sometimes people think that they can discern God's will and not be living a godly life. I think they go hand in hand. So important for us to understand in discerning the will of the Lord, in understanding what is God's will, the counsel of his word, the confirmation of other people, the comfort of God's peace, and the consecration of a pure life. Now what about these other questions? What about the kind of people that God can use? Who can God use for his glory? Well, look at the life of Gideon here. One of the things I love about this story is he's a very unassuming person. He's not trying to get glory for himself. He's not trying to draw attention to himself. Gideon is just your average, ordinary person. And something that I always love to say is God uses ordinary people for extraordinary work. And that's what he did in the life of Gideon. Sometimes you might think that you don't have much to offer the Lord. You don't look at your life and think you have many talents or maybe you don't feel like you have many gifts and what can God do with you to serve him? You'd be surprised. Some of the best people in service to the Lord see themselves as least capable, but in God's eyes are the most useful. And so just make yourself available and allow God to glorify himself through your life. Think about, for example, in the book of Acts, when... Peter and John, the Bible said, were going around preaching the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. It says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees took note, hauled them before the Jewish ruling council, that they were preaching about the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. And it tells us in the text in Acts 4.13 that the Jews could tell that Peter and John were unschooled, ordinary men, but that they had been with Jesus. And sometimes... Just unschooled, ordinary people are the best in the hands of the Lord. Now, listen, it's not like God is looking for the dumbest and the stupidest people to be used for his glory. But the idea is that you don't have to try to be some kind of self-made person. You just need to be surrendered to God and allow God to use you for his glory. So what kind of people can God use? Anybody for his glory. And then the third question that he asks is, if God is so good... Why do bad things happen? And this is a tough question because all of us like to think of the goodness of the Lord. And when we think about the evil in the world, those two things just aren't compatible. But here's what we need to realize. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that since sin entered the human race is now spoiled by sin and has now been corrupted by sin. And as a result, it tells us in 1 John five nineteen that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That ever since sin entered the human race, we live now in a world where there is sin and death and evil and murder and disease and all kinds of things that were not God's original intention for the human race. When God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it was intended to be a paradise. 
but man has corrupted it because of his own sin. And so this world is fallen. And in a fallen world, we're going to be exposed to difficulties and hardships and injustice and inhuman things that people do to other people. And it is terrible. Throughout the book of Judges, God was with the nation of Israel. When they were following him, God's blessing flowed and filled their land. When they turned away from him, he didn't abandon them, but instead brought forth judges to help them see the error of their ways and how life with him was so much better. This cycle of living that the Israelites fell into is what we've been studying with Pastor Gary Hamrick. And we're so glad you joined us again today. Here at Cornerstone Connection, we love being able to share God's Word with you and learning with you what God has to teach us. If you'd like to hear more from the book of Judges or the number of other Bible books Pastor Gary has taught through, you'll find them at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also have companion resources that offer an even deeper look into these studies, which you can use to enhance your own time with God in His Word. Cornerstone Connection comes to you as a ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, and we'd love to meet you in person. Come see us Sundays at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for our time of worship and Bible study. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today, but join us again for another step into the lives of the Israelites right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.